It um, has been a difficult week, as Trina mentioned, um, for our cumulative community. For we heard at the very start of the week some troubling news, and as the week has continued, um, details have made things even more sinister and confusing. And what begins as a question continues to tragedy and then essentially senselessness. And probably at some time in this week's journey, whether you were listening to the news or talking to a colleague or maybe talking this over with your family, somebody at some point raised the question of why? Why? Because when, we're, when we are encountered with tragedy and, 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 and situations like we've lived through as a nation, that's the one question that seems to just hang out there and can find no answer. Yes, pundits all over the cable networks try to give some explanation or reason or try to create a sense of blame so we can understand why, but really, really, why? And it doesn't have to be something national or, or, or tragic. It could probably be asked in your home. Why? Why is dad not here? Why are you arguing? Why do I feel this way? Why? It's a confusing question. And I, I feel like my first reaction, and I don't know, maybe you're with me, my first reaction this week as, as the news was coming out all over the place is, is to step back and try to create a wall of separation between me and it. It's my self-defense mechanism. I've seen it enough, I know it, but I do not want to let it affect me because, because I don't understand why. So my first reaction was just to change the channel. Don't look at those pictures. But your curiosity takes over. Don't watch the countless videos that they keep showing. Don't read the news reports. I want to step back. Because I don't understand why. And I know I'm going to be asked why. <laughs> And so I've, I've, my first reaction was to, to push it away. But the thing is, senselessness, hurt, brokenness, you can't run away from that. It's all around. Sometimes it engulfs us. And that might be you this week. I tried to push that away, and God then broke me somewhere else. And so today, I want us to struggle a little bit with the question of why, but we are going to frame it in a way that you might not expect. These past couple of weeks, we have been um, in a series called Money Talks. Today is the third week of that. And I realized early on in this week that we should probably just forget all that and try to deal with the national consciousness. But I feel like God is telling me that it's the same question. And today we're going to frame that question of why in terms of 
money. Good luck to all of us. Open your Bibles, please. We're in the New Testament. We are in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, we find a story told by Jesus that has to do with money. And um, you may have heard this story. It's not a very popular story. In fact, preachers, including myself, don't want to preach this, or we don't want to talk about it. It's only found in the book of Luke, and it's not one of the well-known parables uh, or stories, and you'll see why in a minute. Uh, But today, that's where we're going. Um, God help us. Uh, Chapter 16, the book of Luke, verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, um, probably, and you can just pop it open. Third book of the New Testament. Uh, And it says this, And Jesus told his disciples, There once was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you you cannot be a manager any longer. Jesus begins to tell a story about a wealthy man, uh, probably somebody in their day would have, would have been a, a landowner or a, a business owner, somebody who had lots of resources and had put someone else in charge of the resources. And Jesus says he heard, the owner heard, that the manager was mismanaging funds. So he brings him in and he says, give an account. All right, I've heard enough. Now I need to see the books. All right, the information has come to me that you've been cheating with your management, so we're going to have it out, and, and, and I need to know the truth. And he says, give an account because you are fired. See that? You're fired. Give an account because you cannot be a manager any longer. The owner has called him in, but he has already made up his mind because of what he heard. This is not a moment where the manager is going to come in and try to sweet talk his way out of it and, and backpedal and say, no, 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 you don't understand this, this. The owner has already made up his mind. You see that? Give an account because you cannot be a ma- You're fired. You're done. I need the books. Hand back your security card. Give me back the files. You're fired. I've always wanted to say that. Fired. And the manager said to himself, this is Jesus talking still, chapter 16, verse 3. The manager said to himself, uh-oh, what should I do now? My master is taking away my job. Uh-oh. Have you ever been in that position? Maybe you, maybe it doesn't have to do with your work. Maybe it's something else. Something else that you were in charge of. Something else that you were uh, supposed to take care of. Something else that you're supposed to manage. And for whatever reason, uh, we're not here to explain that yet, but for whatever reason, you have mismanaged until the owner, the boss, the deadline says, okay, well, let's have it. And you realize you're in trouble. Does that, does that situation sound familiar to you? It could have been that maybe you're, you were a student and you, you had a month to manage how to write this term paper. But now it's turn in day and you realize you didn't do any work. You're caught. 
You're in the moment. It may have been that your boss told you, I'm putting this on your desk. This is your responsibility. This is your project. But you did not manage it well. Do you not take care of it? And now it's time to produce. And you don't know what to give, what to turn in. What now? It may be that you realize one day when your son or your daughter is walking out the door. They're 18. They're on the way to college. They're not coming back. And you ask yourself, "Uh uh-oh, did I manage that well? The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. And then he makes, Jesus is telling a story, but the the, the manager makes this statement um, of such self-awareness. He says, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Fascinating. The manager says, what am I going to do now? I'm not strong enough to dig. I, I can't go and be a, a laborer, but I'm too proud to beg. So he says, I know, verse 4. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So quickly, verse 5, he called each one of his master's debtors and asked the first one, how much do you owe? The first one said, 800 gallons of olive oil. And he replied, and the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and slash it. Make it 400. Then he called the second one, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he told him, sit down, make it 800. But that was his business plan. I'm losing my job. I was supposed to manage the stuff. I didn't do a good job. So now what do I do? I'm caught. I can't go back in time. I can't go fix it. What do I do? I know. I come up with a plan. So he decides, he decides to go and he says, when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive people's debts so that when I'm out on the street, they'll remember. You remember me? I'm the guy who lowered your debt. And he told them, take your bill, slash it from 800 to 400, from 1,000 to 800. He wasn't forgiving at all because he couldn't. It was his money. He was just like, Let's, the owner's not going to miss a few hundred bushels here. And, but you know that I forgive. For you, you might remember I did something for you. And when I'm out on the street, you'll help me. Pretty, pretty shrewd, right? Pretty clever. Jesus continues, verse 8, and he says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And no pastor wants to preach on this verse because it goes against everything you've ever been taught about money use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you will be welcoming what in the world does that mean what is he talking about I don't know about you but I was raised in a home who made it a big deal to make sure we were not worldly worldly whatever that means to you. 
that there was a big difference between us and the world. And while I grew up in a home and in a church community that made it a big deal that we were not supposed to have worldly wealth. And we went to great pains for those of us that had some money to make it look like we didn't have any money. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I grew up in a church community and part of a family who said, you gotta be humble. You gotta, if you're not, you gotta look humble. So let's not take the fancy car to church. Let's take the, let's take the family car. Leave the Mercedes parked. We'll take the minivan. But in the story, the master commends the dishonest manager. And it's a very confusing parable because, because we're Adventists, so we like to assign meaning to everything. Well, the owner's got to be this, and the manager has to be me. And, and oh, is he trying to tell us that we should cut deals with people? Is he trying to tell us, hey, if you're an accountant, just you know, shave a little off the top. Is this a good advice for, for how the, the church manages your money? See, that's our problem with Adventism. Sometimes when we come to the Bible, we try to assign value to everything. We just don't understand because the thing we don't get is why. The one question that seems to loom over us, framed in this conversation uh, in relation to money, is why we don't understand that. So we try to assign it. It don't make sense. That's why pastors don't preach on it because it doesn't make sense with every other parable. And other parables, it's easy. <clears throat> the father who's waiting for the son, that's got to be God. The prodigal son, that's got to be you and me. The, the, the other son, that's the church members. who We got it all lined up. But in here, who do you want to be? Do you want to be the dishonest manager? He's sort of the hero in the story. But the owner condemns him. And it's going to fire him. You see what I mean? It's confusing. And, and, and just so you don't get it mixed up, Jesus isn't trying to tell us that the manager is honorable because he says the master commends the dishonest manager. Doesn't make any sense. Isn't honesty supposed to be the best policy? Aren't we, weren't we, weren't we uh, <clears throat> asked not to cheat or lie or steal, and yet in this parable told by Jesus, he seems to be commending dishonesty. It's confusing, let's be honest. It's confusing, like the other things that we see in your world and in mine, where we don't make any, it, it doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And that makes no sense because a man who's speaking this had no worldly wealth. That's the one quality we have idealized about Jesus, that he was a man of nothing. He had no, he, he said it. I, the son of man has no place to rest his head. He's got no money. He's got no, he's got no clothes. He's he told his disciples, when you go out to do, take no extra money for the journey. Don't even take an extra coat. So we have associated sort of uh, the Christian life with, 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 with at least, not poverty, but not having a lot. And you know what? That's made it very difficult for this nation, for us, as a subculture. 
because we're not poor. I mean, some of us aren't as well off as others, but obviously compared to the world, the wide world, we're not poor. This is a nation of prosperity. We have a lot. You have a lot. I know it's mostly due to debt, and we'll get that to next week, okay? We're talking debt next week, so you better come back. But the truth is you have a lot of stuff. There's only a handful of you that walked here this morning. You have probably more than one car. In our household, we have more cars than drivers. Isn't that crazy? And when we try to explain, no, you see, because one car we do for this, and then you have to have an, really? Where in other parts of the world, people just walk because people walk without shoes because they don't have shoes. So we have a lot. And this is fascinating for us because in the culture and the church that we've grown up and trying to explain the reason why, we've just ignored that and we just said, how? How are we supposed to be Christian? You got to not, you got, you don't, you can't be, you can't have worldly wealth. God wants poor people, which is, is, is true, but does he want you to be poor? And he says here, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. That also seems counterintuitive. That also seems counterintuitive because we are told, hey, you know, uh, uh, when, and these, are, these are kind of proverbs that we read. A man who has a lot of money has a lot of friends. Does, you know, did you know that the, uh, the parable of the lost son is the one right before this one? Where Jesus says when, when, the, when the prodigal son had a lot of money, he had a lot of friends. And when the, he had no money, all the friends went away. And sort of the moral of the story we told our kids is essentially, uh, watch out. <clears throat> People only want you for your money. So don't tell them how much you have. Don't go flashing your money because people will then be dishonest in their friendship. So we've, we've created this. But here Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends. What in the world are you talking? I don't understand you. And then he says, whoever can be trusted, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now he's going to be looking at you. Forget the story for a second. It ain't going to make any sense until you hear these next few verses. Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, i.e. cold, hard, cash, Benjamins, then, he says, who will trust you with true riches? Uh Uh-oh. Jesus says... How you handle your money determines whether or not you can receive true riches. Uh Uh-oh. This is the moment here where you're going to have to look in the mirror for a second or maybe longer and ask yourself the question, how have I been handling my money? Consider. Consider. Probably somewhere in the back of your head, you have a picture of yourself. I am whatever. However you want to fill that in black. I am a good person. I'm a generous. I am this and I am that. These are my goals. These are my aspirations. But then take a look at your bank account transactions. Jesus says, that's how you know who you really are. Whoever can be trusted with very little, 
i.e. worldly possessions, can be trusted with true riches. And if you can't handle the wealth and the prosperity that God has placed upon your doors in the here, God says, how are you going to handle access to the universe's riches? Whoever can be trusted with material wealth, God says, can be trusted with spiritual wealth. And you did not want to hear that. Because if truth be told, we haven't been very good managers of our finances. Let's be honest here. If not with me, with yourself. Jesus says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Go ahead, say it. You've heard that one before, right? Oh, yeah, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You've heard that one before. That's why we've grown up in this culture. It says, okay, let's, let's, let's be about God. Let's not be about money. Uh, don't, try to get ahead, but don't try to be rich. You know that the hardest, the hardest <clears throat> people group in our church is people that have wealth. We don't know what to do with them. People that have a lot of money, they have a hard time fitting in in, in, in the church. We don't know what to do with it. Sometimes all we do is, hey, you got a lot of money. Why don't you, why don't you pitch in? Sometimes we say, man, I, that's unfair that you got more. How about the... We don't know. We know what to do with poor people. We say, God loves you. Let us help. We don't know what to do with wealthy people. I'm just being honest. And God says, you cannot serve both God and money. So that's where we've created this tension between God and money. But in the previous verses, he says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. It's complicated. So here's what I'm talking about. Essentially, Jesus is trying to answer the question of why. Why do you do what you do? Why do you spend money the way you spend money? Why do you treat your kids the way you do? Why do you respond to your boss the way you do? Why do you uh, uh, love or not love your wife or husband the way you do? And essentially, Jesus boils it down to this. You're going to either do it for God or you're going to do it for money. Now, let me unpack what those two things mean. You're either going to do it for love, that is God, for God is, or you're going to do it for money. But what is money? Money is power, hmm? control. Money is illusion. Money is self-serving. Money is everything that, 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 that gives you the ability to affect something for selfish reasons. So God is saying there is either for love that motivates you, or there's something other. It cannot be both. So the question of why, whatever your why is, has to be framed in that. How are you going to respond? You're going to respond motivated by love, for love, or for money. So take a look at how you're spending your money. Take a look at how you're managing your money, how you're managing your wealth, how you're managing your relationships. And you're either going to be motivated by love, or you're going to be motivated by Power, control, selfishness, self-righteousness. Anything that is not love 
is over here. And Jesus essentially says, how you spend your money will clear up which one of these you're actually serving. It says, how you handle your money, where you spend it, how you think of it, how you treat it, how you use it towards others, will reveal to you whether or not you are serving love, God, or whether you're serving money, power, selfishness. I know this isn't easy. I'm in the same boat with you. I don't want nobody looking at my bank statements. That's why I keep changing my password. Have you ever done that? I mean, some of us, some of us, God bless us, some of us, we have a budget and we're sticking to it, but a lot of us, we live in Southern California and we, we pull out the credit card and we just swipe and it's like magic, we don't know. It comes from somewhere, it goes somewhere, and then when we get, we just hope there's enough left to pay whatever bills I got to pay, but we don't really want to look too closely as to where the money went. I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you get that bill, you go, what? How much? What? And then you look closely and it's a bunch of nothings that add up to a lot of something. You know what I mean? So when the owner says, give an account, you're like, what? I don't really want to give an account because to have to give an account of how I'm handling my wealth is going to reveal something about me. And Jesus says it will either reveal that you are moved and motivated by love or you are moved and motivated by something else, something more like selfishness, power, control. This happens right here, right here. Think about how you do when you give money to the church. You're either motivated by love, God, I trust you. I don't care where it goes because I believe in you, or I don't know. The pastor does what I want. I will contribute. Take a look at how you're spending your money. I'm giving this, I'm letting my wife do this because I love her, or I'm saying, okay, honey, you can buy this, but just remember, I'm going to want something too. Between husbands and wives, we don't keep like, we don't actually keep a, a thing, but we keep track. I know you were going to say amen to that inside. I know you. When the bills come out, we do a quick tabulation. Before we share the bill, we do a, when the credit card bill comes in, you do a quick tabulation. Oh, let me just make sure I didn't spend as much money as she did, because then I've got some leverage. But if, it, if, but if you did, you go, no, no, it's cool. Yeah, well, I took care of it. I paid the bill. But when it's her that's paid, what? Honey, we're never going to get ahead if you keep, I know you. I know you. I'm in the boat with you. Trust me. And Jesus is framing the question of why, why we do what we do. Why did this young man do what he did? Is it for love? Or is it for Control, self-righteousness, to judge other people. Is it for love or is it for money? Jesus says, I want to trust you with eternal riches. I want to give you. Do you know that our Heavenly Father owns everything? He has all the worldly wealth. It belongs to him, and he wants to bless you with it. That's, he said that. I, I read that last week. God says, trust me first and see if I don't open up the storehouses of heaven and just pour it down on you until it's coming out your ears. He wants to bless us. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to prosper you. But the 
overfilling cup of prosperity is not easily handled. That's why he says, you've got to be able to handle it when you've got a little so that I can bless you with more. It's a question of why you are being, why do you do what you do, framed in the context of money. And you've had to have this conversation with yourself and with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your son, your daughter. You've got to have this question. Because it's being answered by your actions. Jesus says, I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to ask the question I wanted to answer. What is moving you? Why are you doing what you do? Is it for love? Is it unselfish? Is it generous? Is it kind? Is it, is it, is it, is it, <clears throat> does it, is it because you don't keep a record of wrongs? Is it because you always hope and you always persevere and you always trust? Or is it for money? Because you want leverage. You want control. You want something back in return. What is it that's motivating you? That will explain the why. That will explain the why. Jesus says, trust me. Trust me with your finances too. Not just with eternal life. You can't get to eternal life if you can't trust me with $10. You can't get eternal riches if you won't give me 10%. Trust me, Jesus says. Trust me. Trust me, the Pharisee says, the Pharisees who love money heard all this and they sneered at Jesus and he turns and he says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart because what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. What is highly valued among men, the ability to to do stuff with my money. I can affect things with my money. I can direct things with my money. I can look at you, judge you, and withhold my money from your purposes. I can look at you and say, now I'm going to give you money and you're going to do it for me because I'm paying you. That's the society that we live in. And God says that is detestable in my sight because in my sight, love rules and love serves. It does not, it does not contractually obligate. It gives away. It trusts. So why do you do what you do? Jesus says, trust me. And I will give you more. 